Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. We've got another great episode for you here on Summer School 2021 as Ryan Lang from Midwest Spirits will be joining us to talk about grains and their impact on whiskey, how that selection works and how it impacts the recipes and ultimately what uh, we get in the bottles. Don't forget to check out our past episodes like Building Innovative Brands with Slow Brew, how to start your whiskey collection with my daily bourbon aka chad watson and then last week's episode uh summer cocktail summer beers with kevin patterson and jake solick and we've got some cool ones coming up on uh summer school 2021 as we close it out with uh, how to make uh tequila in the u.s or agave spirits in the u.s and then getting creative with two wonderful ladies as well don't forget uh, to check us out on our social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, there on Monday nights, we drop our Give It a Try highlights, and Fridays, we shake things up with our cocktail quickies. You can get details and links uh, on any of our social media pages. And don't forget, we also have a brand new website, hopspirits.com, as well for you to check out. Let's not waste any time and get into the episode. Joining us now on the Hops and Spirits podcast for Summer School 2021 is a person that you probably remember from back in November as part of our Whiskey Weeks. It's Ryan Lang, co-founder, head distiller of Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. Ryan, thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Now, you know, since it is Summer School 2021, uh, or at least that's what we're doing with you this, this time around instead of Whiskey Weeks, I figure your one tough question, uh, sometimes they're tough, sometimes they're not, oh boy. Uh, it will be school-related, so... Did you do any extracurricular activities in school? You know, like were you in after school clubs, sports? Uh, what, what did you do? Oh, I did a couple things. Uh, I was uh, I was a geek. You know, I was definitely uh, I played sports. Uh, I was in basketball and baseball and football until I got destroyed um, several times breaking bones. So I stuck to the music side. So I was in band. Uh, love it. Okay. I still play to this day. I, I, I play, uh, play instruments now. So yeah, I was, I was that guy. It was okay. Yeah. Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried out for, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I tried out for chorus in like seventh grade and got told no, 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 just, just stay, stay, stay as far away as, as possible. I played basketball for most of, uh, of everything. And, and then golf was my other one. And that's what thankfully led me to a little bit of a lesser load uh, in terms of payment in college but uh, yeah. but I also was in key club uh, you know doing some of, you know those little civic organizations so yeah uh, yeah I, I totally Real understand athletes. I was I, I don't I, we didn't have athletes but we we practically were so <laughs> but see yeah. I, I didn't do that because I knew I wasn't gonna ever be smarter than the ones that were already on it yeah who, who I happen to know and and um also, I, I think I took calc my senior year, and that really destroyed any uh, ability I had in math. Um, <laughs> when it, there's more letters than numbers, I was in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, and minus one, right? That's good. Exactly. Now, now, you know, for you though, it being you know having that good math uh, background, I'm sure it's helped you a little bit in your job yeah. nowadays because there's a lot of science, a lot of numbers that that go into it. Um, but what's new at Middle West since last time we, we talked? How, how are things going? Uh, they're, they're going fine, going well. You know, pandemics finally looks like it has a, a line of sight on being concluded. So our hospitality is uh, in planning to open back up, which is nice. Um, since we last talked to you, we ended up uh, acquiring a new site for our back-end operations. So our processing uh, and warehouse and storage and offices and stuff. So you were at our, our old warehouse uh, it's all that that's gone. 
Uh, we're at a new site and uh, we're building some uh, new warehouses right now. We're in four new buildings. So it's been great. We've been in, in enjoying the room because we didn't have it, as you remember. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we're in planning on some pretty fun stuff. That, that's awesome to hear. And, and like we were talking a little bit before before uh, we hit the record button, um, you know, I've seen you guys doing a lot more uh, other stuff too. You know, I've seen group picks from, from folks and some other things like that. Ha, have you guys finally been able to expand that program now that you've got a little more space and some things are coming online? Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to bring that online years ago. It just wasn't there yet. Um, you know, unfortunately with whiskey, that's the fun part that we talk about is you have to invest today, what you're going to sell for in five to seven years. And that's not always easy. So, um, yeah, as we've been maturing and aging the rye up and the Michael and Reserve bourbon and the weed, and we're bringing on some other stuff for double casks that, that are going to be fun to release this year. Uh, we've noticed that things are really starting to mellow to a point where, you know, 130 or 128 is exceptionally right it's well balanced and it's where it needs to be it's not always we catch them on every blend as a matter of fact i just did uh, another batch of michael and reserve about 30 minutes ago surprised i'm not slurring my speech um but we ended up picking up uh, uh four new single barrels that we've identified out of that lot so it's it's they're rare they're they're not always there but yeah I, i'd say it's it's going to be a pretty good focus for us moving forward because why not it's it's pretty awesome you know giving everything out or selling everything at a 125 is not necessarily the best thing in the world i think for you you have to have some level of team downness uh but you know if, if it hits right and you try it and it's it's on on point why not release it at that so and and we've been able to offer that to more people like you said uh more people have been coming in barrel picks store picks restaurant picks it's been great well, and that's awesome to see because I mean everyone's palate's different. So some yeah. might like it a little a little hotter, some might like it a little more mellow. So uh, let, let you guys kind of expand uh, what people get to enjoy or, or experience there with Middle West. Yeah. Now you guys are a grain to glass, and when I say grain to glass, I remember last time we talked. Even your glass is sourced locally, mm-hmm. or regionally. Um, what so for those that may not understand when someone says grain to glass, what is that? Well, for me, for us, it's, you control your agriculture. You uh, you go all the way down to the farm. You're you're picking varietals for what you want them to grow. Uh, you're picking regions and where you want that material to grow for different reasons for soil composition. Um, and then you mash, you ferment, you distill, you age. For us, in the case of uh, of our, our whiskeys, but we have vodka as well that we do grain to glass, and we have gin we do grain to glass. But yeah, it's going through the entire supply chain as opposed to acquiring at a point in your supply chain, you're, you're going to the field. Um, ironically, we've been able to also source most of our other raw materials, our labels, our glass, like you said, in our region too. Luckily, there's manufacturers in the area that have been willing to work with us. Um, so yeah, so us, it's just, uh, you know, if you're mashing, fermenting, you're distilling and you're, you're really focusing on where you're buying your raw materials from, including your grain, then that's grain to glass to us. And it's something a lot of people talk about nowadays. And, and you, like I said, you guys are doing it very impressively for from as local as you can get it and regionally as well. And I love to see that. Like you said, labels, glass, uh, everything, which is really cool to see. 
Now, the reason, one of the reasons we got you on here is to talk about how grains um, impact whiskey. Because, you know, there's so much that can go into what impacts a whiskey's flavor. Um, we talked uh, with uh, Christian Huber and that gang in, in February about uh, barrels. Yeah. Uh, but now grains is something I wanted to focus on. Um, so let, let's talk about that. And how do you guys decide what to use when it comes to grains? Yeah, I mean, for, for most whiskey, right, your, your primary grain is, is going to be corn in some way, shape, or form. Um, for us, even the corn has uh, intrinsic value from what your strains are that you're buying. And, and a lot of distilleries are really getting experimental today with that, which is very cool to see. Red corn, blue corn, white corn, things like that. Um, every single one of them has a different characteristic off the still. Uh, spicy, different, different things really do come out. It has a lot to do with the starch content uh, versus the protein content in the grain, the way they're harvested. Uh, you know, we, we have a specific variety that we pay attention to that really amps up what we want is a really robust sweetness, sugary sweetness. Um, we use a very particular varietal of corn that has a higher starch concentration than your, your standard, um, flint corn. And it gives us that, uh, your, your, what we'll call adjuncts in this area and brewing adjuncts are everything else. that's not malt, right? Uh, in our world, an adjunct to me is, you know, wheat, it's rye, it's spelt, uh, it's the types of malt you're using for conversion. Those small grains uh, really impact the whiskey and in our eyes try to complement, you know, for, for whiskeys that are corn derived, the, the, the corn. So rye is, you know, is spicy. Um, that's what everybody knows. If you have a rye whiskey, that's what you like. You like that spicy tone with the vanilla or sometimes with vanilla with the leather. And, and tobacco, but that spice is your prominent thing, and rye does provide that. But know that there's other varietals of rye that don't necessarily just do spice. They can do other things. They can sweeten. They can soften. Um, for us, we use a product um, that's it's a pumpernickel rye that mm -hmm. is uh, a little bit of a um, – It's I don't want to say it's a hybrid between a wheat and, and a rye, but it's very similar and the fact that it's got a, uh, a higher starch concentration, so it's a little bit sweeter than the traditional rise. And then uh, we use our wheat, our soft red winter wheat from Ohio, um, is pure vanilla. Uh, some wheat that's used, for instance, if you, you've had hefeweizen, that wheat component gives you banana. Uh, and that can come through in varietals of wheat that you use for making your wash or your beer. Um, we just tried wheat all over our state north, south, east, west by climate and varietals, red winters, bright white winter and stuff like that. And when you distill them down, you're refining that flavoring profile. If you keep the same yeast strain when you're you're trying these 15 things, you can see off the still what they do. And it's quite cool. Um, and we often know when somebody is ironically swapping something when they're not telling us. We've had <laughs> some of our farmers, unfortunately, swap some stuff out, particularly on corn and one time on rye. But you can tell immediately off the still that something's not right. And then you can do the trace back and find out where the problem is. That hasn't happened very often. But those small grains really do provide um, <clears throat> they provide a, a, a robustness that you, you can then complement your corn in the case of, of bourbon. Uh, when you get to the larger distilleries like uh, Turkey and stuff like that, they're, they're heavy corn real high on the corn and they want a little spice with their rye and it works great. 
What we do is we have tried to perfect <clears throat> something that is a little bit, I would say, more challenging is taking four grains and putting them together uh, for the Michelin. It's the corn and the malt, but then we have rye and wheat together, which often don't like to play together well in a distillate. Um, but we balance them out and we adjust their ratios and we're constantly improving that. So we're constantly tweaking <clears throat> every couple runs just to see if we can take a run and see if it can improve a flavor that, that we like. So those small grains are really critical. Um, the varieties you get from them are really critical. Uh, wheat can have different characteristics. Rye can have different characteristics. And then when you get into the malt, it's even, you're really getting into some stuff there. If you have a high concentration of malt, just like in beer, you've got Pilsner malt, you've got Pale malt, you got Munich, you got Vienna, you got chocolate roasts, you got all these different things that you can add to whiskeys and that's where it's getting a lot of fun in the craft world because a lot of people are experimenting with malt as well and seeing what it does to the uh the, the rye whiskey or the bourbon whiskey so small grains are a really intricate part to making your whiskey your unique flavor um and uh they're fun to play with if you can get down to the agriculture side well and it seems like more and more are, are kind of using that the craft beer world as a kind of at least a inspiration when they when they do those experiments yeah because uh, like like you like you said there's just so many different things out there uh, that you guys can use now you guys kind of ended up um you, you kind of talked about it you know you went in different parts of the state to find different things mm -hmm. how does you know where you where, where those grain come from affect things or, or does it matter i mean is there a, a point on that where you guys are looking for where it comes from because things can different things can happen to it no absolutely um soil impacts our varietals tremendously um <clears throat> ohio is unique in that we got four climates that you can grow in if you go below the center of the state soil is exceptionally sandy if you go above the center part of the state you get into a lot of clay uh, if you go east, you get into, I wouldn't call them mountains in Ohio, I'd call them hills. Uh, if you go uh, about one hour in from the border to Pennsylvania, it flattens out and it stays flat the whole way through the rest of Ohio. So, uh, it, you know, you have settling of water. So the way that the grains are growing and the way that they retain the things that make them grow, which is water, sun, um, if you have a really heavy water condition like up north uh, where you have clay where if you have a heavy rain it's not going to saturate through the soil the grains that are growing there have challenges with lodging and rot and things like that you got to pay attention to but if done well and the farmers in our area know exactly what to do when that happens so there's really little risk of that but what you'll see is if you have a, an equal amount of rain in the south and north um, your northern grains um, will be plumper they're going to absorb more water from the fields because it retains the water and they're going to use that to grow. They're going to be taller. They're going to be plumper. Down south, in a week, you can have a drought. You could have a heavy rain, but the soil is exceptionally sandy so that water will filter through and the plants don't get a chance to grab them. So the starch content of the wheat, for instance, we grab, grab up north is, is can be at times larger than what you would get down south, even though it's the exact same varietal from the seedsman that were bought. So soil really does impact your growth. And the same thing happens with corn. So uh, the terroir that everybody talks about, it's a real thing. And it has a lot to do with the conditions of uh, water absorption in the grains and how fat or how skinny they can get and what that provides you. And you'll have years that are greater than others, uh, more 
rain, less rain, and it will impact what you buy. When we get our, um, when we buy our grain from our farmers, we get reports on them for this type of stuff, for protein content, moisture content, things like that, starch content. Any analysis can be all over the board, um, but we know what we like, we know what we're trying to focus on, and <clears throat> we've been fortunate enough to work with farmers that understand that too, and it's it's gone well. So. And then I know you, you kind of mentioned this uh, before when you were talking about the different types of grains. You guys kind of settled on a kind of, I would say, a unique one, that soft red winter wheat that's kind of in, in all your bases. Yep. How did you guys go about picking that? Uh, was it like a, a process like I, I've heard other places where you just keep putting stuff in different, you know, a bunch of barrels and see what you end up liking? Or, or how did you, the process go for you all? Yeah, I think everything for us starts off the still. Um, we, we don't necessarily, uh, our philosophy is that we don't necessarily need to see where the, the barrel's going to make some decisions. We like to make decisions based upon if we put it in a Glen Cairn and we can drink it right off the still, we know we're in the right spot. And, and you'll get that through your yeast. You'll get that through your water and what you do for treatment. As long as we like the yeast and we've locked in the water and we're focusing on the grain, then we can not move a lot of variables. When we first started, um, we were fortunate enough to work with Ohio State's Ag Extension in Worcester. And there's a, there's a geneticist up there, a seed geneticist that was working there. Uh, he's no longer there. And um, he helped us identify some varietals of wheat that we could grab our, our, our hands on and, and try. Back then, we were, we were neophytes. We were new to the category. We had a still. We were screwing up 90% of the time when we were distilling. And um, we knew we wanted to try to find something that was unique to Ohio. You know, corns in Iowa, corns here, corns in Kentucky, corns in PA, rye heavily in Pennsylvania, which is great. It's where I'm originally from. Um, what did we have here that, you know, why were people here? Why were manufacturers here? And what grains were they going after? So where, what was Pillsbury buying? You know, what was Donato's buying for the pizza crust? And we looked at it in that method, and that's how we ended up getting to Wooster. And um, we got a, a lot of varietals. So we were getting them from all over the state. And then we distilled them, and we tried them. And, man, were they different, very, very different. And uh, we ended up finding a group of farmers in an area in, in Fostoria, Ohio, and, and a mill up there that we could work with that could provide the volume, could provide the guidance. They gave us pricing guidance. They gave us grinding guidance, like all of that stuff as we learned over the years uh, to, you know, really hone in on that soft red winter wheat from that, that specific mill. And uh, we we're still working with them to this day, what, 14 years later. And um, it was a, a pretty eye opening experience. I grew up in agriculture. My family had farms back home and my computer is going nuts on me right now. I apologize. Um, hopefully you can't hear that, but, uh, you know, it wasn't until I really, you know, I, I, I saw the farm, grew up with the farm. It was a dairy farm. Saw my family work that farm. We kept the ground after it was sold in the late eighties. And it wasn't until I got to working with OSU and that department and, and getting into seed development that really did we really hone in on understanding its importance and value and we are constantly learning uh we we love that side of this business and we were very fortunate to have people that were helping us with that but that's how we got up to uh, our software when we 
Well, and, and it's an amazing thing uh, of how sometimes those those happen, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's someone, you know, in the extension office kind of that just know, knows a yeah. few things that can pass on some amazing knowledge. Um, now, w- once you guys pick your grains, what happens next? I mean, are you guys like w- what's the next part of the process? Well, um, cleaning it, <laughs> making sure it's clean. Um, otherwise, you'll destroy your rollers in your mill. Um, we, uh, we go through a process to, to contract out certain volumes. We have the truckloads that come in. Uh, we were doing most of our milling away from our distillery at a farm that we had contracted with. City wasn't really too keen on putting a, uh, a roller mill and flour. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, basically ventilators, a cleanup next to a high production liquor plant, uh, especially when you're running out 190 on some side. So that didn't fly. So we had to move it to a farm. We've since brought it back because we took this new site. We brought all of our milling and everything back to the site. And we, we, we contract them from the farms The truckloads come in, we put them in our bins and it's a lot of adjustments. Uh, you'd be amazed at, refining your grind size and what it does for fermentation. Um, so we've been working with that for years and getting our grind right. We'll grind them. We'll take super sacks of the plant and off we go making liquor. We take over, you know, quite a bit of poundage every day. It's uh, made into liquor in about four days and comes back over to the processing plant. And, and then, you know, you, you kind of have talked about this as, as well. Um, but does the type of grain or grains you use affect that kind of process? Uh, I mean, are, are there different things you got to watch out for uh, when, you, when you're going through through those things, uh, depending on what grain you're using? Yeah, certainly there are adjustments. Yeah, it's uh, not a one one size fits all. Um, we've uh, we've adjusted grind mill specs multiple times to try and get more out of the the yield. Um, you know, cleaning is really critical. Uh, the farmer that you're, you're usually getting it from usually dictates that, but we've had to put in a nice cleaner here to make sure that that's okay. You'd be surprised at how many magnets you have to put in line to catch bolts and nuts <laughs> and everything that come out of the farm and or our, our shipments. But uh, it's, uh, it's a constant battle to make sure that's correct. Um, and then by the time we get it to the plant, by the time the stuff is in our sacks or in our bins going over, it's got to be ready to go because we usually grain in in about 45 minutes and it's a, it's a dance to get that material up into the cooker and we don't want the plant having any problems with that stuff. Uh, we've certainly seen what happens when you go too far. If you grind too far, it's impossible to get it loaded into the cooker. But yeah, it, it, the, there's a lot of man- movement to make sure that things are correct from the farm to here from here through our grinding specs here to the plant and into into distillation. And then, you know, once you guys get it to the plant, you're kind of starting the whole, the whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, how how do you guys add the grains? Is there a certain, uh, style? I mean, you don't have to give trade secrets here, but I mean, is there a certain way you guys kind of, you know, are are adding things uh, to make sure you get the, the recipe the way you want it? Um, there is a sequence and there is absolutely a time, uh, factor to that there is a boil rate and time on that as well so we definitely have a sequence to basically taking our starches our corn starch our wheat starch our rye starch with the barley starch that's malted that has the enzymes there's enzyme addition there's liquid enzymes that we add in as well it's pretty common in our category because 
you're really trying to drive down the residual sugars to, um, to for the yeast to consume. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely a sequence of time, and it's by recipe. So we run uh, 14, I believe, recipes, if not more, uh, through the plant, and every single one of them has a different sequence and breakdown. We can adjust temperature, we can adjust timing for certain resting periods, uh, liquefaction periods, sacrification periods, boil periods, and make those adjustments and it will speed up, slow down the fermentation process. If we start our fermenters at a different temperature, your flavoring characteristics change. So there are a lot of different variables that you look at when you're actually trying to firm out. Ultimately, it comes back to what's your flavor off the still? Is it balanced? And um, did you get the yield you wanted? Because yield is, is money. It really is. So if you're not fermenting correctly and your yields are lower, then your costs are increasing rapidly. So you just have to... It's a, it's a delicate balance on that. Uh, additionally, you know, what you use to distill, copper versus stainless steel, things like that also affect flavor. So there's a tremendous amount of variables that go into making sure that it's it's correct. But that's the fun part for us, and adjusting and making things move to what we believe would be better for us in the long run. And hell, the adjustments we made this week, you're not going to see for five years, which is terrible, but that's just the way it is. So. <laughs> I was going to say time, time is, is fun in, in this industry. You're, you're working today for well down the road and hoping you make yep. every adjustment correct and made, made the right assumptions. Um, you know, you, you know, we're kind of at the part now though, you know, you've got the, the mash kind of created and, and so forth. Where does the um, Well, we go into fermentation, you know, from, right? From so there. we're transferring from our cookers to our fermenters at a given temperature. Um, you know, we're, we're at about a 30 or three day fermentation process, 72 to 74 hour fermentation process. And then we're transferring to the beer well and beer well is pumping into the still in a continuous fashion. And it's constantly running through the doubler and we're making adjustments to, to make sure that what's coming off the stripping still and the finishing still is correct. Uh, and, uh, and we're, we're sampling, we're running in the plant nonstop. We're running all the readings you need to to make sure the fermenters are right. We're making sure that the still is running well and pressures are correct and top of still temperatures are right. So a lot of variables there as well and making sure that the utilities are in check. So your boiling system's right and your chilling system's running, you know, to its optimal level. There's a lot of considerations, but if you're doing that right, once you go through the cook and you've taken that grain and you've broken it down, your fermenter should hopefully have your lovely yeast happy not not stressed. You don't want to stress them. They get angry and make really bad stuff. But as long as they they're happy, they'll give you good alcohol that you can make good liquor from. And then what what happens when, once you guys have used the grains? I mean, are you you, you just you, you kind of pulling it out? Yeah, add more in. Uh, what what are you? What's the process there for you all? So finished material. Uh, a lot of it goes in the back set. So you, you capture it, you strain it, you capture it, and you use it for the next run, which improves your flavoring profile over time because it's pretty easy to think about how backset works. Or sour mashing, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sour mashing is a pH buffer. It, it, it's literally in there to bring your pH in line with what you need before you transfer to your fermenters. It's also there to provide extra flavor because it has a flavor to it as opposed to water in the mash, right? So if you've got a certain percentage of your back set that had some flavor to it, you are transferring that to your fermenter. And then it's, it's nutrients. There are nutrients provided for the yeast for them to operate correctly. And um, over time, you build up those flavors. Um, the rest of it for us, uh, it gets uh, uh, strained and then it goes down to the sewer 
uh, in the future will be um, transferring to farms uh, and we're working on uh, a process for uh, dehydration and pelletizing of material. So that's not been figured out for us yet, but uh, yeah, we, we try to push as much in the back set as we can. And, and, and I was curious of this too, because you guys do gin, you do vodka, you know, you do your, your bourbons and whiskeys. How do, does, I mean, how, how does each of those kind of affect what you guys are doing or picking? Uh, cause obviously gin is a lot different than, than a, a, a bourbon and you know, vodka as well. I mean, how, how does, does that play uh, when you're trying to find what, what, what grains to use for, for, um, you know, what different type of product you're making? Yeah. Base grains are, are really critical on that. Um, when we started the company in, in geez, 2007, eight, it's been a while. Um, uh, the, um, the reason we were going to, uh, up to the OSU ag extension and the reason we were looking so hard at that grain is that we wanted something that was unique to Ohio, but also unique to the shelf. If you go into a vodka shelf at any liquor store, there's a hundred brands. Mm-hmm. There's a hundred varieties. There's three seven fives, up to one seven fives, one point seven five liters. There's six dollar bottles. There's forty something dollar bottles, <laughs> but they're all neutral. They're all meant to go into something else and not be tasted. Uh, vodka, for the better part of the rest of the world, is not consumed in orange juice. It's uh, it's it's usually had uh, neat. Um, and when we first started, uh, with Ohio, which is our vodka, um, you know, you have to be at 190 proof. Um, you know, most companies that brought vodka to the United States because it really wasn't here in a big way until, uh, you know, after World War II, uh, they, they, they neutralized it by running it through, uh, carbon. So any residual flavor you get with spiciness of rye, the, the potato taste you would get through the distillate or sweetness of wheat or sweetness of corn would be neutralized through carbon. So what you get is very clean, pure alcohol. Uh, and for us, when we were choosing early for a while, we're like, yeah, we could do that. We have ample amounts of corn, but why don't we try to work with this wheat? We don't have to neutralize it. We don't have to run it through something to mask a flavor that would carry through. So it became that software red winter wheat that then once once we realized we had it, we then put it into all the other products. But you know, we distilled about 191 and a half, 192. We make ample heads heads cuts, we make ample tails cuts, so you're getting a really good heart of the run. And uh, we don't have to run through anything that would resemble massive carbon filtration. Uh, and uh, and it, it is what it is. That then became the base of realizing we had something that was unique to us. Why would we not use that for our gin? So rather than trying to build off of a neutral for our gin for the uh, Vim and Petal, we said, let's find a way to build off of this. So when we did our testing on botanicals, I think we distilled 44 different botanicals at the time. It was rough. Uh, lots of tasting. Uh, Avishar, who's our uh, executive chef and GM at Service Bar, he helped me with it quite a bit um, because he has a background in culinary. So he went and grabbed I was like, literally went into the spice room and just grabbed everything and brought it out. And we had our, you know, the staples, coriander, you know, or root, things like that. Um, but he brought in a ton of other stuff and we distilled and distilled and distilled and then tasted way too much. And um, we, we found something that actually worked well with that software when we, we blended it down 
And then we had to perfect the process. It took many different runs and iterations of getting into market. We're like, eh, it's just not, it's just not there yet. And we kept tweaking it. We we have uh, lapisong tea. We have um, uh, Szechuan peppercorn. Uh, we have things we do with that where we steep them as opposed to soak them in the material. But they were too bold. They were they were too forward. So over time, we extracted them out of the runs. But everything started with that base grain. And once we had it, we said, instead of messing around with that, let's just make that the base and then complement it with everything else we're working on. And that's in our clear spirit category as well as our gin category. And the same thing happened with honey vanilla bean, stone fruit, bourbon barley, honey vanilla bean. So we always started with that and then we brought in the other materials to see how it would be complemented. Well, and, and that's awesome to see. And it's also something that makes you all unique that you kind of have – something similar in almost all of your products, or at least there's mm -hmm. something uh, that, that ties them almost all together yep. uh, as a nice family. Um, you know, what, one other thing I wanted to talk about, you guys kind of did a, a neat collaboration. I think you guys called it the Boilermaker series with, with mm -hmm. Brewdog, uh, where you kind of had a beer and a, a whiskey inspired by, you know, that could go pair well together. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how was that process like? Oh, that was a, that was a fun process. You know, drinking with your friends is never bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, we, we had the, the former, I, she's not there anymore, the CEO of, of Brewdog USA uh, over many meetings and, and their team sat down and like pitched this idea of how do we create a Boilermaker, pretty traditional drink uh, countrywide and, and, and overseas. Um, how do we take what they're producing here in the United States because they have a pretty sizable brewery down in uh, Canal Winchester they, in, they installed a couple years ago, so they're in our backyard. How do we take some of the stuff they're doing here and then pick barrels that have specific characteristics that would tie to those beers? And it was a year and a half process. Um, most people don't know that. It took a long time. We, we got an initial round of beers that were exceptionally hopped um, that were just very difficult to partner with a whiskey, which, you know, your bittering agents going against the sweetness of a whiskey, depending on the type you chose. And um, it, it just didn't work. So we kept refining that process and we landed on two that just worked. And they do sometimes. When you take, like in Boilermakers, uh, you know, Jameson and you name it, they work together. It doesn't, you drink one and you shoot the other one and your face doesn't pucker, then you know that they're balanced, <laughs> they're working together. So there was a lot of that going on. And um, we started with blends. We were taking, much like High West does, we were doing like a Borai type of deal. We were taking our bourbon and our rye, our bourbon and our wheat, our rye and our wheat, and we were blending them in various ratios to say, can they match up to these beers? And what we ended up finding out is that we didn't need to do that. We needed to focus on the bourbon, focus on the rye, focus on the wheat, and focus on the barrels, and hand select the barrels that had certain characteristics that tied to lost and tied to uh, something that was a little bit heavier. So um, that's that's how it really came out. Uh, we went down and tested whew, about a year and a half ago now. I think we went down to Brewdog and we sat down and we went through the flights and went through the blends that we created for this. And they stood out right away. We made the selection and we got into marketing. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. You got uh, two products that came out, got into the system, and it's great. And, and to this day, they're, they're wonderful. If you try that beer with that shot, it's really nice. So it was a fun project. I was going to say uh, I'm, I'm sure you also enjoyed uh, getting to try a few different things and and uh, enjoy a few few drinks, right? 
Yeah, it's great, and and their facility is pretty state of the art. So it's always fun as a as a nerd when it comes to the this process on the distilling and brewing side to get to play with that those flavoring profiles. Oftentimes, we're running too fast to keep the lights on that you don't get a chance to hit the pause button and have fun. And that was definitely one that was a good time. And, and then, you know, before, before we ramp all, all this up, I mean, are, are, is that something you guys look forward to is doing some of those experiments? I know you guys kind of have mm-hmm. some fun series with finishes, things like that. Is that something that kind of lets you ha- be, be the artist again and, and, yeah. and try different things? Absolutely. You know, we, we've got our, our, that's the best way to put it. And that's exactly why we look at those things and do that. And it's, it's not just the brewing world we do that with. It's the, the distilling world we produce for, for, uh, we have a lot of strategic partnerships with guys that we work on very different recipes, single malts, things like that, that we get to then work with them on and we make tweaks with them and we learn together. And yeah, I would say we have a lot of things coming down the pipeline that are in that vein that we're going to get to talk about over the next couple of years that have been a ton of fun and we're learning from other people. You know, we're, we're dealing with other groups that had, you know, a, a laundry list of things that they did in their careers at other distilleries and other breweries and they're bringing that to the table and we're learning from them and we're taking that material in and it's the pure experimentation and it's stuff that, you know, for, for distilleries, we, we don't often change recipes quickly, right? When you lock something in and you start, tweaking the variables to improve, but it is what it is. In a brewery, you're making how many beers in a year? And then the next year you're changing yeah. that, changing your hot profiles. In a brewery, you get to really have a, uh, in a craft brewery, a lot of fun on making a lot of that stuff. We don't have a lot of that here. Once something's in, you get going. So when you bring these projects to the table, people light up and uh, it's, a, it's a good amount of fun to see where things are gonna go. It's a lot of work. But often the results are, are rewarding and you get to see some new stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Well, and I would have to guess it's, it's cool to learn and, and see, see what you can pick up from, whether it's someone else that's been in the distilling industry forever or even in the brewery, brewery world, uh, because there's just so much different things that people do and that you can pick up on that you can then maybe take back and, and try to tweak things uh, again and, and just see what, what happens with you all. Yeah, there's, no, there's, there's, a, there's a piece of that that we really love. Um, sometimes you're like, man, I should have been doing that all along. Why did we miss that? But, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's a constant innovation for us. It's a constant want to learn, to get better. And, and hopefully, you know, 20 years from now, we're making some really good 10-year-old, 15-year-old whiskeys that are on the market that people know that when they buy it, that they're going to like it, right? And that's, that is the home run for us, is to constantly improve and get people that are happy with what they they buy from us and they can trust that we're doing a good job. And um, those educational pieces, they come in routinely and we're constantly learning from them. And we, uh, we're very fortunate to have that happen. Well, I, I can say this, uh, everything I've had from from y'all, I have enjoyed from the uh, honeybean uh, barrel-aged vodka, the Vim and Patel uh, gin, uh, your, your bourbons and whiskeys, everything I've had, I, I've enjoyed. And I'm not just saying that because uh, oh, you're on here. I'm saying that because sure? it's been good. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
now, now my, la- my last question for you is, you know, I, I don't know what you can tell me mm-hmm. that, that is good since this oh is recorded, but what, but what's, uh, what's some things people can look forward to coming down maybe the pipe later this year, uh, that you might be releasing or, or is it just going to be more, more good stuff that that's already out? Um, yeah, we, we have some new products we're going to be bringing out, uh, in third quarter. Uh, they're in process right now. Um, it's something we've been working on, uh, for a couple of years now, uh, it's in the whiskey category, uh, I can tell you that, and um, it's it's a move we've been trying to make out of our old branding to our new branding, and some uh, some stuff that's never hit market. As a matter of fact, a couple of them that never hit market. Some of them have had, but we're changing some proofs on them because they're better at those proofs. So we should have a relaunch for some things, but we've got new stuff coming out hopefully this fall through the holiday. And then we've got some... Hi. Partnerships that, that have been announced, um, we've got a vodka partnership uh, with the American Standard, uh, American Distilling, sorry, uh, they're uh, up north. Uh, so Chris from Dunord Distillery, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dunord. Uh, we did some work with them uh, recently and that product is coming out. I believe it's already out to be honest with you. It's, it's phenomenal. We took a blend of, uh, they did, they took a blend of uh, uh, vodka bases from the Midwest. Um, we provided our wheat, our, our Ohio. Somebody provided corn, and, and I'll let you have to look it up for them. Uh, corn, rye, potato, and wheat all blended in a vodka. So very unique, uh, very tasty. That's coming out here soon if it's not already. Uh, and then we got some other partnerships that we're going to be excited to announce that uh, that'll be coming out this winter through through next year. So. A lot of stuff going on. I, I always like it. You give that nice tease. It's like you've done this before. Uh, I think you even did that with with us last time. Uh, you know, it, it's fun to always see what you guys guys are coming out with. And, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm truthfully honest. You guys do some some re- really amazing things. And 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 what you guys were one of the, the first real craft distilleries. And now there's what like twenty five thousand, thirty thirty thousand. I don't it even feels like. anymore. It's so many. Um, yeah, we were. Yeah, it was. Uh, There's a few of us up there in the beginning. Um, it grew very, very fast. Uh, I think there's, I don't know if it's 2,500 or 3,000 operating. I don't even know anymore. I haven't seen the latest statistics from ACSA or ADI, but it's a lot. Um, yeah, we've been fortunate to hang our, hang around for a little while. Absolutely, and Ryan, I appreciate you sharing some knowledge and and, and uh, giving us a little bit of education on grains and, and how they impact whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. I love talking with Ryan. If you if you missed the first episode we did back in November of uh, 2020 as part of Whiskey Weeks, you really gotta gotta listen to it. He talks about um, you know his family's history, uh, which is not all legal in, in terms of distilling and even a buried still uh, <laughs> on his family farm. It was a great episode, and like I said, he just brings so much knowledge, and I, I really, truly appreciate that. I also appreciate everyone that participated in our Superhero Fundraiser. We were able to raise a few bucks, and a few of you are taking home some really cool bottles, and we'll hopefully do this again next year and even have uh, some more bottles to give away and uh, raise a little bit more money as well. And if you haven't, give us a, a shout-out on uh, our, any of your uh, social media. Make sure you give us a five-star review on, our, on your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Anything you can to give us a little love, it is greatly appreciated. You can find us, again, at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. You can check out all of our videos, photos, uh, our uh, Give It a Try highlights every Monday, and our 
cocktail quickies that shake things up on Fridays. And uh, like I said, hopefully you guys are having fun and enjoying this series because I know I am. We'll have a a lot more coming to you here uh, soon. Until next time, cheers, everyone.